This is episode 45 of the Movie Maniacs podcast. I'm your host, Noah. And joining me is Osegan. Patrick Osegan. Welcome back. We're here to talk about Skyfall. And I'm very excited. After the somewhat disappointment, I think we could both agree on Quantum Solace. This is very refreshing to come back to uh, Skyfall, which is a one of the probably the, one of the most highly acclaimed um, Bond movies of all time. But before we get into it, Patrick, let's talk about what we've seen recently. It's only been a couple days since we last talked, but if you have anything to give a mention to, feel free to speak your mind. Yeah, I watched Climax by Gaspar No. Um, and that was pretty good. It was kind of like anxiety inducing, very stressful hour and a half. Uh, so it wasn't really the relaxed. Well, it was what I was looking for, actually. It was very good, but um, not for everyone. So be warned. What was that called? Um, Climax. Be born. Climax. Climax. Okay. I'm going to look that because I like stressful movies. So I'm going to add that to my watch list. Yeah, he did um, Enter the Void, which is much longer and much slower. Like, literally, there's a lot of slow motion in that movie. <laughs> so it's oh, very slow. Yeah. Um, but this one was, like, almost too short. Like, it was just, it, it was pretty nonstop. But it was good. Yeah. So, <clears throat> yeah, that's what I saw. What, what did you get up to? Well, I went back to David Fincher, and I saw The Game. Um, starring Michael Douglas and Sean Penn. And I was very excited to see this um, because I like movies where a guy's life is slowly caving down on him. I like those types of movies. I don't see them often, but when I get one that's really good, I like it. And um, I'm going to make it official. David Fitcher is my favorite director now. Um, I am just absolutely, I love all of his movies, just almost all of his movies. I haven't seen like Alien 3 or, Panic Room, some of the more lower-ranked Fincher movies, but, um, I mean, Zodiac, Social Network 7, Fight Club, four of my all-time favorite movies. Um, no other director has received higher marks from me. Um, once I see a Fincher movie and I watch something right afterwards, it everything just feels so lesser compared to his directing. Uh-huh. And... Um, I saw the game just because he directed it. I'm trying to go through his filmography. Um, And the game was not at all what I was expecting, Um, especially with the ending. I don't know if you've seen the game, Patrick. Um, Yeah. But there are twists and turns. uh, Always has you you second guessing. In the middle of the movie, I was thinking, you know, this might not be great as I was hoping it was going to be. And I didn't expect it to be a 10 out of 10 like I'd given some other Fincher movies. But I was expecting it to be pretty great. And in the middle there, I was kind of feeling a little like, I was like, oh, this might not be as good as I thought it was. But then we have this ending, which is a lot different from what I was expecting. I won't spoil it for our listeners, but um, really has this personal type of ending for a picture, it seems, where um, he's later disavowed this movie as saying he doesn't like it as much. It you know, features a perfectionist and perfectionists are are bound to go back look at their work and not like what they see um but i i rather like the game it's not as good as zodiac or social network um and i think i might even like make a little more but that ending there's something really sweet about it 
something that made it more personal. It really had me much more warm to the movie than I was in the middle of the movie. Michael Douglas and Sean Penn are excellent two of the most iconic actors of of their generation uh, on screen together. That's a pretty neat thing to see. Um, of course, the direction from Fincher is great. Um, not as great as like Social Network or Zodiac or Seven, but still excellent. And um, the score, I don't know who composed it, but there's, it's basically just this one key being pressed really rapidly, and it's really tense. There's, it, it really adds to the tension of the movie. So I would give the game a recommend for sure. Patrick, I just said I just dropped that Fincher's my favorite director. I haven't really talked with you about directors in a while, as far as mm-hmm. like what directors we like and don't like. I know probably since we last talked about it, you and I both had Charlie Chaplin as our favorite director. Has that changed for you recently? Hmm. You know, I'm going to say no, because there have been other directors that have definitely competed and their works are very close. But with Chaplin, it's all about his consistency that he achieves, like his whole filmography, mm-hmm. pretty much. Like he definitely has lower end and then higher end, but like it's all entertaining and it's all um, got a specific quality that only he could bring. And it's one of my favorite qualities that anyone can bring to any movie. So, yeah. And I think that that's what I really like about Chapel too. I mean, he's definitely top three directors for me. He's probably second since I just made Fincher my, my favorite. And yeah. well, you can all, like similar with Chaplin, you can obviously put films above another. Some are lesser, some are greater, but they're all consistently good. And I'm sure, you know, when we get to like, when I get to maybe like Aliens 3 or, or maybe Panic Room, movies that aren't as well-liked as Social Network or Seven, that I may have a few issues there, but like when I look at like Alien Three, like if I'm looking at that, like if that if, if that's a movie that I'm not really crazy about, that's real. There's there's obviously a bunch of background stuff there with studio interference and and the studio's vision colliding and making a messy movie. From what I've heard, I haven't seen it, but I feel like there, there's still something there to where I don't blame Fincher for that. And similar with like. A chaplain short, like if it's what I'm not as crazy about, it's not always his fault. It, it, it there's always other aspects as well, and I think Chaplin and Fincher are both perfectionists, and maybe that's one of the reasons why their films are so consistently good. But then again, perfection, perfection, hard. But anyway, one of the drop the game is the movie I saw recently. I also saw another director that I really like, but not so great of a movie. I saw David Lynch's Dune with. <laughs> I recently finished a Dune book a couple months ago, and this is why I've been stalling on for a while. Just kind of hesitant. I like to go into a movie thinking it's gonna be it's gonna be good, and um, so when I go into the movie like Dune, or then another one that I'm gonna drop later, and knowing that it, there's a possibility that it's not gonna be good, I just get a little. T- I I don't want to waste my time, um, and unfortunately, I saw it. Just so when I go in to see Dylan Luebe's version of Dude, I'll kind of have something to like see what this other famous great director tried and then see what what this guy's doing as well. Yeah. That's going to be, and I think that'll be a very interesting way to see Dune. Um, but as a movie, as a whole, I don't think it's good. It's very similar with Alien 3, studio interference. You can feel it in every scene that there are two competing visions here. 
I don't know if I want either of them, honestly, because I don't consider David Lynch to be the director for Dune. And Dune is a weird book, and I guess that's why the studio hired him, or maybe David Lynch picked out this project. Either way, I don't think he's meant to adapt this book, which I think is very a very highly intelligent movie, and Lynch makes very intelligent films, for sure. But, wow. like... It, yeah, <laughs> but in a different way. In a different way, where, like, his movies are smartly crafted, but they're not, like... I'm trying to find a comparison here. Like, a, a Godfather movie, where that's a very intelligent movie. Yeah, Lynch's um, movies are more instinctual than, like the intellectual kind of movies which right. is really cool and it's honestly probably better yeah and, and Lynch is a fantastic director I mean Twin Peaks to return I mean you and I both agree this is one of the greatest things put to film honestly I, I really really like that little mini series and of course Twin Peaks itself and Lynch was my favorite director for a while and kind of dropped out later but dude was just a big disappointment I've heard some people kind of, like, defend the visuals. I thought they sucked. Like, I don't think this movie looks good. I, I think Kyle McLaughlin, an actor from Twin Peaks, um, I didn't think it was particularly good to hear. He felt really hollow. And maybe that's just because this movie was made. And it's not all of just fault, but there is some blame to go there. Um, every, everything just felt hollow. It's not – there's some flat moments, and then there's some – bad moments. The music was really distracting. There was this narration that I really didn't care for. Um, Patrick, you have seen Dude, correct? The movie by David Lynch. Yeah, it's been a little bit though, so I don't really remember it super well, and it was also before I'd seen anything else by Lynch, really. So mm. I couldn't really compare it to his other work, and to me, at the time, it was kind of just like one of those lower grade like fun kind of cheesy sci-fi movies that I was watching at the time like 70s early 80s kind of you know mm -hmm. like funny visual effects you know kind of a cool story with weird you know uh mystical elements that don't really make a whole lot of sense because they're not fully fleshed out and that was like fun yeah. for, for me to watch like I'm not one of those people that goes around looking for like the perfect movie every time so I enjoyed it but I can see people's complaints with it for sure. Yeah, and I think really kind of thinking about the older sci-fi movies, I mean, Patrick Stewart's it. That, that kind of already gives you kind of the feel for like this being a, a more 20th century sci-fi movie because Patrick Stewart's <laughs> in it. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like maybe if Lunch had full control or maybe if the studio had full control, we would get a more cohesive movie. But like just trying to sit back and take and pick apart the story like it, it just all falls apart when you try to think about it for me anyway kind of wasted my time but the movie i was referencing earlier about a movie that kind of wasted my time was murder mystery um starring adam sandler and um Ooh. this movie came out last year sandler had a very good year with um uncut gems uh which is was really highly regarded by the safety brothers and then he had you know his netflix movie that always drops like he gets two or three out a year it seems and nobody really seems to really love these movies, but he just keeps cranking them out. And I have no idea why, but he keeps on doing it. And I really wanted to give, yeah, the money. Right? <laughs> He's got yeah, a bottom and, line like everyone. Yeah, and um, I heard that this was one of the better ones. I wanted to kind of give it a shot, like, because everybody was talking about, like, the, the cheap 
Netflix movies that he makes. And I had just finished uh, The Godfather, and I was like, okay, I'm just going to pop this one on to unwind. And it was just barely, la- I didn't laugh once in this movie. I, I kind of had, I, I got a couple smiles in there, like just a few. And it was towards the third act, but really not much here. Was it awful? Like, I feel like Sam was probably made worse. Um, but it's just, I really, what I, what kept me invested in the story, because I love a good whodunit. I mean, Knives Out, one of my favorite movies. You know, I just love kind of getting the uh, piece of the mystery together with uh, with our main protagonist or whatever. And Sandler was fun uh, is the in the lead role. I believe, it was, I think it was Jennifer Aniston who was uh, co-starring with him. And anyway, the movie was kind of bland, very similar to just a bland movie. Not not really much good or bad, just kind of bland. Like it was a waste of my time. Even if like it was a bad movie. I somehow feel like that would be better, but it just straight up bland. I don't know. There's something a little more disappointing about that for me. But anyway, I'll give one more mention. I did watch It's a Wonderful Life um, with a Jimmy Stewart, and uh, I've been wanting to see this one for a while. Finally, popped that Blu-ray in, and um, really loved the movie. Absolutely, I watched it today. Um, absolutely knocked my socks off. Uh, Love James Stewart. I think the direction of the movie is really good. Very, very sometimes scarily realistic with how um, how there's so many people who grow up wanting to do something great with their lives and then just find themselves in the same same old town, uh, just kind of scraping for money and really just kind of crisis. Basically, is kind of what uh, our <laughs> main character of the story is going through and this one really struck a chord with me especially since I have higher hopes for my future than just Roland Arkansas you know I would kind of like to do other things you know um and to see that this is how many adult lives end up going is was for me as just a 13 year old very shocking to see and kind of scary um but it's a very sweet movie as well I mean the ending was such a tearjerker. I mean, I was crying, man. It was it was rough, <laughs> but um, in a in a good way for sure. Um, really loved the movie. I probably I'm gonna try to watch it again this month. Um, so yeah, there you go. It's Wonderful Life. Uh, that is the end of what I've seen too. Now we're here to talk about Skyfall. Patrick, I am so excited. So excited. <laughs> right, <laughs> Patrick. After the disappointment of Quantum of Solace. What were your expectations, Greg? We kind of talked about it with our last episode, mm-hmm. but let's go ahead and give a little refresher. <clears throat> well, the disappointment of Quantum of Solace was kind of what made me decide to finish the series that day that I read Quantum of or that I watched Quantum <laughs> of Solace because I was like, I gotta, I gotta like end on a better note than this. So I just straight up went to Skyfall, rented it, and started playing. As soon as Quantum of Solace ended, I was like, I gotta watch something yeah. better. So that's really what I was hoping for, just something better than Quantum of Solace. How about you? What, what were you looking for? I mean, you've seen this before many times. I had This is probably my fourth viewing, sitting down to see it. Um, I was very excited to go with just because of how disappointing Quantum of Solace really was. And it was kind of some case of like murder mystery or Dune, 
not necessarily just a really bad movie, just really bland throughout. And that was that really felt like a waste of my time. And I was ready to see first off a movie that whether I think remember it being good or not, I absolutely beautiful. I would sort of talk about Roger Deakins. One of my favorite looking movies is how I remembered it. And Quanto Solace, I didn't really think looked that great. There were some cool looking set pieces, but you know, we've talked about all those cuts. It just wasn't really a very pleasing looking movie. So to go win, see, to see what a movie that I consider to be one of the best looking movies, I was very excited about. And then, of course, I remember Quant, uh, Skyfall to be a very good movie. And um, we'll have to see if my feelings about that are still the same. Um, but let's get into it. We start out opening scene. Every Bond movie so far has an opening action scene. Um, I think that this action scene perfectly sets up our new director. Um, his new take, Sam Mendes, uh, probably the most famous director of the three we've gotten so far. Um, you instantly feel his signature style. The only other movie of his that I've seen, I believe, is 1917, a movie that I do like quite a bit. With Roger Deakins as well, very good-looking movie. Um, and uh, instantly, I'm just feeling... It felt instantly fresh. Just instantly. I, I was already hooked in with the opening action scene. Uh, we get... Uh, oh, we've already talked about this lady before. She played um, that witch lady in... Um, uh, in uh, the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. We got Naomi Harris here. Yeah. Um, kind of going through this chase with Craig. Um, and I feel like this is the first time we popped into a Bond movie and just really feel like this is the James Bond. Like, because every movie we've got so far, it seems like he's becoming James Bond. And now it feels like we have finally got a fully a full James Bond. He's not really figuring things out right now. He knows he's got his plan. He's got it together. He's listening to him. This is the perfect James Bond. And the action looks great. Um, love each set piece Bond goes to. From the train to the to being on top of the train, being in the train, <laughs> then being on top of the uh, construction machine and all that. And then the Jeep going through town and all that. Just really great action. And just... If I had a really special appreciation for when we were on top of the train, hand-to-hand combat, just like that, it felt so satisfying. Just It felt like each move Bond was throwing was being countered, and we get another little action scene like that later on in the movie. I'll let you talk a minute, Patrick, but I thought this was a great opening, great opening, and a great opening action scene. Yeah, I was, like you, I think immediately struck by the cinematography being miles ahead of Quantum of Solace. But also coming right off Quantum of Solace that was very, I would say it was more action heavy <clears throat> than story heavy, you know? And yes. so starting this one off with another big action scene, I was a little worried because I was kind of like, okay, like it, I haven't seen the movie, but it made me think of that, the the scene from Ocean's 8 where they, <laughs> that's like been circling oh. as an ad where they're like trying to track down like I don't know the context of the story but <clears throat> you know one yeah. of the girls has a sniper and they're all talking to each other on their earpieces it felt kind of like that just because the cinematography was so much more modern and very crisp looking which Ocean's 8 does have that but I was worried because I was like oh no like where's this story gonna go is there a story because there wasn't one yet 
and I was a little nervous. But it is a good action scene, and I really didn't have any serious problems with it. I just was like, okay, is this going to be more of the same, like just with better cinematography, or is it going to be something new? So I'm not sure. I'm not sure where this one's going to end up yet. Yeah, it ends. It ends in a very shocking way. Just it, it, it it's all the movie just starts out so fast. Just, yeah. It's moving rapidly and then it just ends with that bullet shot. And he it just it, it's like more like a, he got hit by a sandbag that he did a bullet just fell right off the train into the into the or and it's instantly you've been having a fun time and then your smile just drops. It's just very serious. You can hear the water from the from the river or whatever going down while we're looking at Judy Dench's M. Um Judy Dench coming back once again for the last time, unfortunately. Um this is a spoiler episode <laughs> for those listening. Um and um this just instantly you feel like this is something different. And we're just in that first like and in the start of this action scene you're instantly feeling Sam Mendes and Roger Deakins working together because kind of, it, it's a long shot at the beginning. We're really falling on as he travels across this room and it's like, this is a lot different than Guantanamo sauce because we'd have already had like over 20 cuts by now. And so that was really refreshing as well. And just Judy Dench staring out into the window when, when, when it's raining, just a beautiful looking image, just you and I feel like they're really playing up Judy Dench's age in this movie. I think that's such a great choice. You could see every wrinkle on her face, and I and like no disrespect, but like you really feel her age. She's weary. She's tired. She's been in this game for a, maybe a little too long, and she's she's ready. I think to go, but she doesn't want to end it like this. She's and maybe that is kind of like nostalgia that she now but you can't saw that a little bit of quantum of sauce where we had that one scene and I kind of tossed that away but you really feel that here like she is kind of walking a tightrope here where things aren't she doesn't have it all under control we spend a lot more with Judy Dench at the start of this movie than we do with Bond and Bond comes in later and we're following Judy Dench for the next five to 10 minutes of the movie and that was a surprise on rewatch um but anyway bond gets hit and we get to our bond song um by adele you referenced it a little bit in the beginning um i think this is an excellent song much better than the one we got last time i'm still rolling it over my head whether i like this one more than chris cornell's i think the imagery is beautiful the shot of bond going down into like that like the uh almost like sinks, uh, sinking sand or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get the little title card, Skyfall, just a beautiful looking image right there. I mean, frame that. It's just great. And we get, and I think that over, this is over quantum sauce with the imagery going on here, because really there, it's just, we're following a bullet and Bond's just shooting. Right. And it's going over a desert and Bang that's bang. it. <laughs> and that that's, the shot looked pretty cool. But here, this is all symbolism. Just listening to the lyrics, it it, it it paints a further picture of what's going to happen in the movie. These lyrics are crucial, and they mean something to the movie. And, you, I mean, you don't have to listen to every word she says, of course, but 
if you listen to what she's saying and you've seen this movie before, you know that this is hinting to things that are going to later happen in the movie. And you can even kind of feel that sense if you're coming into it on first viewing. And I was really impressed with this whole sequence. With the Quantum Soft one, I was kind of ready for it to be over. But I could, I, I was just enjoying every bit of imagery we're getting here. And it, it really just great symbolism as well. And a great song as well. Really like the song. I'll probably go back to it and listen to it a little bit more. I just thought this was a really great uh, song. I think I'm going to give this the, the 8.5 out of 10. Kind of like you gave with the Casino Royale. Yeah, it is a great song. And I'm not the biggest Adele fan, but I do respect her. Mm-hmm. She is very talented. And she did a really good job with this. And you're right. The imagery is definitely all hinting towards um, things that are going to happen later in the movie. We've got the Chinese like dragons, you know, he's swallowed up and uh, he's got mm-hmm. the, the the stag statues that are going to be outside the Skyfall ranch or whatever you want to call it. And it's it definitely um, sets you up for like, OK, what is going to happen? Like, how are these all going to yeah. come together? What What is the story going to be that's going to run through this? And it I mean, that's exactly what it's supposed to do. Yeah, I agree. Where if we're ranking them right now, and when we get to Spectre, we'll probably rank all yeah. the opening credit sequences. Where would you put this one uh, right now? I would put it up there with Chris Cornell. I think the song is a little bit better. I do prefer the Casino Royale animation just because I think the card mm-hmm. motif is so cool. <laughs> yeah, but it is uh, very good. Yeah, so they kind of balance out. Definitely, they're neck mm-hmm. and neck. Yeah, I think when we talk about Spectre tomorrow, I'll definitely be going to have to really think about this one before I go in because it's a hard one. I, I don't know yet what, where I'm going to put this. I, it, they're both better than the Quantum of Sauce. So I think we're going to put that one at the bottom. Sure. Um, but anyway, like I was saying, we've been, we follow M through the start of these first 10 or so minutes. Um, really seeing that she's got the she's feeling the pressure um, from the from the prime minister from everybody, and uh, we get our introduction of Ralph Fiennes, who is I think excellent in excellent in this movie. Um, not in it like a whole lot, but especially in that courtroom scene later, you feel his significance to the movie. And I think Ralph Fiennes, you know, he's a very talented actor. I think he did a good job playing this role. Um, and we, eventually this all builds up to MI6 headquarters being blown up because what this whole opening action scene was the beginning was they're trying they're to chase after this list that was taken um, that has um, all of the names of MI6 agents who are undercover and either terrorist organizations or something like that. And yeah. if these are leaked, then their covers will be blown and they'll be killed. And they lost the list. They don't win the opening <laughs> scene. I think that also adds to the gut punch of the of the ending of that scene. And I think when we transition to that Adele song, you're still in shock. And now we're seeing the aftermath of all of that. And um, we see that Ralph Fiennes are, is kind of representing somebody who's firing her, <laughs> basically, and kind of saying it's a peaceful retirement. More forced, though. Um, and... Um, the MI6 headquarters being blown up and of course we're looking image and this is kind of our a little bit more setup. It's going to transition us back to Bond. Um, I think 
following Judy Dench here is is pretty key. And we all I think M is much more of a character in this movie than she's ever been. Um and I in any of the other uh James Bond movies that I've seen at least. And again, I've only seen a few Connery ones and one uh Pierce Brosnan one. But uh yeah, I think that she feels much like a character she ever has before. Yeah, and it's it is definitely a good move to follow her for a little bit because she's gonna be so central to the story. And I do like Ralph Fine's character. I think he's he plays a key role as like this more moderate individual in the middle because there's lots of extremes in this uh, dynamic yeah. with M and Bond. Like these are very legendary seeming characters, and uh, mm-hmm. Ralph Fine's brings kind of like a a new not completely neutral. Like he he has his opinions and his stances, but um, he. Well, moderate is the word for it. He's the most moderate character. Then, so you like him mm-hmm. for that because he's bringing that more uh, balanced energy. And yeah, then we get to Bond, and this was a really interesting move. So I really want to know what you think about this. Yeah, so we go to Bond. He's in a beach somewhere. Um, apparently, it's got. I don't know if he's just going through chicks at this moment or if he's with somebody, but. Um, he's wearing khakis, so you know he's in a rough phase of his life right now. Um, and uh, man, ripped khakis, <laughs> yeah, it, this was really surprising. I knew what we were getting, of course. I mean, I've seen this movie before, but I was really looking at Bond's face, and he looks rough. And you don't even really get how rough he looks till he goes back and sees him, and when she turns the light on, and he just looks awful. And you don't feel like he's totally down in the dumps right now. I mean, he doesn't but look that I, you bad. Feel... He's still Daniel Craig, okay? Right, yeah, he's still Daniel <laughs> Craig. He, he's still, he's still, you still think he's got that daring charm. And, you know, he's doing the Vic the Scorpion, all that. Then he sees that he's got that MI6 headquarters blood. And for some reason, that calls him back. Mm. And so he goes to see him. And, you know, I was kind of feeling like, oh, yeah, Bond is, isn't doing well. But, I mean, he's not, he's, he's, he's fine. But when she turns on that light switch, I, it, it is rough. Like, I don't think I've ever seen Bond look this, this hammered, this, this, this rough looking. And not like in like a tough way. He just feels hurt. And this whole back and forth sequence with him and Judy Dench is really painful to watch because she is not greeting him back. The snapping. Uh, they've gotten Casino Royale and of Solace that they aren't really not a oh welcome back it's so good to see you good thing you're still alive it's <laughs> yeah we sold your flat you're you look awful um like why are you even coming back like it's not and, and Bond is still he's still holding a grudge against him for calling the shot which I think was a very great moment for Judy Dench. not like in a like and didn't really do anything positive there but like as a thing for as a detail on M's character that opening action scene where she tells um, Eve to take that shot, that was a very very uh, great moment for the M character as far as just building her up as a character. I think that was a very good moment. But um, yeah, this was a really this was really rough and much more rough than I remember it being. Just seeing the look on Craig's face, it, it, it's hard to see, especially for for me being someone that just loves to watch James Bond because. Sean Connery, Pierce Brosnan, Craig, they're fun to watch. They're kicking butt. 
I mean, I couldn't do this stuff. And that's what's so fun about Bond is you're getting to follow somebody who could do things you can't do. And he's kind of this transporting character for you that you're able to put put yourself in his shoes and feel like you're doing these things. But here, you don't want to be. He's even probably on drugs for some point. Come back to. Uh, but I think very good for Bond's character. Bond is, I feel like he's much more of a character in, in Skyfall than he even was in Casino Royale. Um, there, you feel like there's so many dimensions to him. He's never been in a more vulnerable spot. Um, and it's really interesting to get to follow Bond to see if he's going to make it back on top. And uh, Craig is great. It's just, you, you sense that um, he's he's been open about it before that he's really tired of this. <laughs> I mean, well, doing promos for Spectre, he's talking about he would rather slit his wrist to do another one of these, which is a famous line that he says. <laughs> um, but here, though, you can feel that he's he's excited that he's doing something different, and I think that's so great because Craig feels refreshed here. He's glad to be back. I think even though the character itself looks tired, I thought this was excellent—a great way to come back to Bond, even though Bond isn't in the best spot. I'm just even more hooked into this character. Yeah, it was a little unclear to me, at least, what exactly happened after Bond got shot off the bridge. Like, does he, Yeah. like, does he instantly, like, make the connection that, like, M told her to take the, sh- well, he heard her t- uh, tell Eve to take the shot. But th- is he, like, thinking about that when he's in the water and he just swims away? Like, I'm running away. I'm never coming back. Or, it, like, no, I think- do they declare him dead later? Like, after they saved his life? Or, like, rescued him somehow, you know? No, I think I, Bond is out when he hits. I think he's even conscious. I think his body just floated up on, on some beach. And while well, he's kind of, like, getting get the, like, not like, trying to get better, at least. Recovery, I suppose. He's, I feel like it's so that really stuck. Because I feel like. There is really this this trust, I think, that Bond and M have with each other that even though they don't always see eye to eye on some points and they can kind of butt heads, that they have this somewhat understanding of each other. And I feel like Bond feels like M betrayed that trust. He told Eve to um, take the shot. And when they're coming, when they meet each other again, Bond, I don't feel like, is mad as much because... M told her to take the shot because M didn't have the trust to let him finish the job. Um, that's what that's a line that he says is you didn't trust me to finish the job, and I think that that's something that Bond's been rolling around in his mind for the months that he's been gone. And so I think Bond just basically just washed up on this beach, went to the recovery, <laughs> thought about what M did, and was just like, you know what, this isn't worth going back to. I don't I don't see a reason to go back, and then. When MI6 headquarters gets blown up, that's kind of his calling to go back. Yeah, it definitely is a theme throughout the movie that Bond, his trust with M is getting tested, especially by the villain later Mm. on. But, you know, I just wish that we had gotten that shot of him washing up on the beach to kind of compare to his coming out of the water in Casino Royale, rebirthed, and now he's kind of been like, you know, pushed up on the beach, almost dead. (laughs) It would have been yeah. a pretty pretty funny parallel. Um, 
<laughs> Very amusing, yes. Quite yeah. funny, but Bond rolls up on the beach half dead. <laughs> yeah, hilarious. Um, I would say with Daniel Craig. Um, when so then uh, is that when Bond does the test? Is that next? Yeah, right after this. Yeah, Bond goes to this kind of this underground headquarters. Apparently, there's like a, a bunker for Winston Churchill or something like that. I think that line gets dropped by Turner, but uh. Yeah, Bond goes through all these tests. He still looks rough. It, it really, his eyes are was looking at just really kind of like purple, very weary, just a rough face. He hasn't shaved or really. I mean, he just it's kind of he's kind of got that half scruffle, you know, where you just you can tell this guy's looking rough. Um, <laughs> and going through all these tests, and especially when he's doing the, the pull-ups, and they all walk out, and he just he just sinks like so helpless. And I mean, it's 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 rough to see Bond look this way. To see, and it reminded me of Dark Knight Rises, which came out the same year. By the way, twenty twelve, very packed year. Can we talk about twenty twelve for just a second? Because I feel like this was a really, really good year for movies. We had Lincoln, the uh, the Avengers. Um, a, I think it, it marks a very significant change in business. Do you think twenty twelve is a good year for movies? Yeah. Um, yeah, seems like some good movies came out that year. I don't really know what all came out that year. I don't have the list in front of me, so. But it probably. Well, I do. I got the list in front of me. <laughs> you know, we got Django Unchained, Moonrise, we got The Hunger Games, uh, The Master, Life of Pi, Brave, Argo, Prometheus, The Miserables, Spring Breakers, The Hunt, Zero Dark Thirty, MIB Three, Dread. Chronicle, Mud, Hotel Transylvania. I think this was a pretty big year for movies. We also have like Magic Mike and Jack Reacher. I think this was a pretty big year for movies. You can see um, a lot of changes happening here. I think Avengers really um, kind of opened the world to like, yeah, superheroes are really taking over the medium now. Like this is this is the thing. Made over a billion dollars. Like this is the new... The, this is the new, this is the Hobbit. And yeah. uh, we're getting a lot more blockbusters. I think, like, you know, The Hobbit, uh, we got the first come out. That was very much a blockbuster. We had the end of the Men in Black trilogy because there's not a fourth one. Um, and then, you know, we have uh, Tarantino, which is a pretty big deal as well. I think it's weird, our one for best picture, which I think <laughs> nobody really was like, yeah, that's the movie that should have won. Many people would. Jingo or something. And what's such an interesting thing about Skyfall is that when this movie came out, the reception was so strong. And people talk about this getting the best picture now, which I, it didn't. The fact that a Bond movie was even in the running to get a best picture now, I think is a very big deal. And it's very similar to The Dark Knight. Um, when, when that movie came out, people are talking about, is this movie going to get best picture? And I feel like those were two very big deal, two very big deals um, for superhero movies and for the Bond franchise, that these two movies are possibly going to get the nomination for Best Picture. And I think 2012 really marked the beginning of, like, blockbusters kind of getting more respect. I mean, I mean, think about, it, like, six years later, we get Black Panther getting, nom- getting nominated for Best Picture superhero movie. Just, like, thinking back to, like, when, like, the first Spider-Man movie or X-Men came out. Like, nobody that ever say that. But yeah, sure enough, like, 16 years later, we get... Black Panther getting the nominated, Skyfall possible picture. So I think twenty twelve year for movies. 
Yeah, as much anyway, as I love we Tenet, and as much as I'm excited for Dune, I think 2012 sounds like a lot better year than 2020, for movies, mm-hmm. at least. Uh, everything else in 2020 was way better than 2012, but for movies, 2012, 2012 was where I was at. Yeah, I really think it was. Turning point. Anyway, we go back to back to Bond. Um, <laughs> we get the uh, we get his training. We see that he's doing rough. It's rough, and I also think that the the gun training or the the gun test and uh, the psychological test as well, not just the pull ups. Uh, those were also two very very uh, interesting moments for sure, and crushing moments. I think, especially with the, uh, the gun test. I think that was that was pretty rough. Like make a make a shot on that just not even the he didn't even get a headshot or even a body shot you know it's it's very it was very disappointing to see and you know the psychology test it's really our first clue that skyfall is something personal i think skyfall is a very interesting title better than quantum of solace but i think it's we get to what skyfall is on the surface it looks it looks rather disappointing but i think it this really goes back to adele's song and the lyrics to that movie kind of talking about that skyfall is like the where like we stand type of thing but i think that's really what the word skyfall is going to represent in this movie and it's not really just a place and you know we'll get to that when we get there but i'll definitely be interested in seeing what your reaction as a whole was to the meaning of skyfall but anyway we uh after this bond goes to meet him and mallory uh we learned that he's back in but after this um turner's like Bond really passed? And he's like, no, <laughs> he failed all of them. <laughs> and that's that's also a very rough movie. It's a rough start for sure. And it really takes a while for this movie to get back to being to being a fun Bond movie. And it, it is very grim at times. And I feel like it's much more grim than saying like Quantum of Solace or Casino Royale. Just in its themes as well. And Quantum of Solace tried to be a really dark movie, but kind of ended up just being too self-serious. But Skyfall has these very serious themes, but its color isn't as dull as Juan Bosales. Yeah, that's very apt. Uh, and it also looks great throughout this. And I love the psychology scene. The back and forth is really funny. How Bond is mm-hmm. verbally evasive, even though he doesn't have the physicality to be physically evasive right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then Bond goes to shanghai i believe right and um he, he heads wow east. <laughs> yeah i think this is to the orient I, this is shanghai i'm not sure all i can say is it looks absolutely beautiful I, I, wow i mean it was breathtaking just having a tracking shot of bond driving after this guy who um who we who he fought at the beginning of the movie um all absolutely gorgeous i'm just so impressed with the cinematography of this movie it's absolutely beautiful um yeah i was just really my breath was just taken away by this all i, I was i i could i was just absorbing every shot that we got and quantum and it's so refreshing after quantum sauce because we never got something like that and we're also getting some really cool sleuthing work because we complained about quantum solace that like information is just coming to us so fast that it's all needless because it just all narrows down to one point and skyfall they hand you the information you need to know it isn't too expository bond picks a bullet out 
He has to body examine it. He gets the thumbprint. He knows who did it. and Or no, it's the type of bullet. My bad, not the thumbprint. He knows the type of bullet. And he finds this guy. And it's also really neat that Bond is... Um, is like tracking somebody while they're on the job. Like I think that's just an interesting idea. And then when he goes into the whatever building this is and um hangs underneath the elevator and you could see just how inefficient he is, just how sloppy he's become. Um, I'm just really liking all of this. And then when it all gets down to with all those uh with all the glass and everything and the bond fights this guy after he did his hit. Man, I rewound it right after it was over. It was so beautiful. I'm going to hold this up as one of the best-looking sequences in a movie that came out that decade and the best-looking sequence we've ever gotten in a Bond film. Just astounded. So perfect. And we don't really see their, their, facial, their, their face, just two dark silhouettes battling each other, each blow being um, blocked, just uh, in perfect unison. It was absolutely breathtaking right afterwards. Just, I'm giving a hand to Roger Deakins. It was <laughs> absolutely incredible. Sam Mendes and Roger Deakins knocked it out of the park. What did you think, Patrick? Uh, this was my favorite scene in the movie. Um, mm-hmm. I like the whole thing. Yeah, and let's talk about <laughs> Sam Mendes for a minute, who is certainly, I think, a very acclaimed director, but is kind of laughed at at times. And I think what he's laughed at for the most is being a Nolan ripoff, which um, this is very similar to The Dark Knight in so many ways, um, especially when we get to Javier Bardem's character, who's very much kind of like Heath Ledger's Joker, and then we kind of have like a breakout scene very similar to The Dark Knight. And many of the ideologies of this movie, the way characters portrayed, feels like something from The Dark Knight. Um, and then also he has like 1917 come out, which is basically him doing Dunkirk. But I would say 1917 is a better movie than Dunkirk. But I guess that's up for debate. But can Beauty come out with Kevin Spacey? Just one best picture. I think right one best picture, one best actor, um, really surprised people and like, oh, this guy is the next thing. And then he sees he just kind of goes in this lull for a little bit where we're not really sure if he is the the great director we thought it was gonna be. He has Skyfall and everybody's really impressed again. And then we have Spectre, which whatever Whatever you and I think of it, it doesn't matter because that was ultimately Davis' disappointment. And then he's got to redeem himself with 1970, which was a heavy Oscar contender. Um, I feel like he keeps having to win back his audience because he, he looks too much like a Roland ripoff. And in some cases, you just look at his homage and it, he kind of feels like that. But with American Beauty, he's really nailing the, the drama of that movie. But I haven't seen that movie. But it is ultimately a drama. And I think that that is, is something for, to know that that's so that's so highly regarded. That is something that and Nolan is my one of my is my, my third favorite director. I love him, but he cannot do drama very well. He could do it. He did pretty good, like Tenet. But I don't care. What, I thought Elizabeth Debicki's role in subplot of in that movie was very effective and 
very emotional, but it isn't like it isn't great stuff. It's 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 good. It's very good, but it isn't great. But Mendes is able to work the drama very well, and there is that there there's this moment drama is working very well. But also, I think Mendes directing here is fantastic, and and put him up with Roger Deakins, and he, they're both combined. They can clearly make beautiful looking movies. What do you think of Sam Mendes as a director, Patrick? Um, I love American Beauty. I haven't seen it in a while, but it was really great. And um, I'm going to have to look it up. There was one with Leonardo DiCaprio that I can't remember the name of. Um, a Revolutionary Road, that's what it was. Revolutionary Road, not like as visually incredible as some of his other movies, but really good drama. Some of the best performances of the whatever decade that was. And... Um, just a kind of a fantastic movie. I I don't I kind of see the Dark Knight comparisons with Skyfall, and I, I get that, but I don't really see the overall Nolan comparisons. I think 1917 is way different than Dunkirk. Um, <clears throat> True, yeah, but it is still a World War One, well, World War One movie or World War Two, I believe. I'm not sure, but it's a World War movie. Yeah, pair the filmographies, and you kind of get that feel. I see what you're saying. I think uh, um, Roger Deakins, <clears throat> I think Stan Mendes kind of owes a lot to Roger Deakins because as much as I love mm-hmm. American Beauty and uh, Revolutionary Road, that was kind of like, I'm not sure if Roger Deakins worked with him on that. He probably did. But um, those were kind of like the peaks of Sam Mendes' like storytelling for me, at least. Like, I don't really, I can't point to anything else that was like, Oh yeah, this is this is Sam Mendes doing something incredible or something new, but and I don't really get that with his Bond movies, but he definitely brings the Oscar-worthy um, level of uh, storytelling, I guess, um, just craftsmanship. Really, like he has that experience. Um, of crafting a movie that is a, a worthwhile experience, unlike something like Quantum of Solace. So I think that's what he brings to the table. I think it is an absolute crime that he didn't win Best Cinematographer at the Oscars. And I'm not going to go down the <laughs> whole Oscars category. <laughs> they have their full share of mistakes. And you and I had a, an off-air conversation a little bit about the Oscars and just how kind of worthless their point means. And I think just, I don't really care what the Academy thinks, but the fact that this Skyfall is not going to go down as the movie that won Best Cinematography for 2012 is disappointing because I think it's a movie that deserves it. And I mean, just going through Roger Deakins from Rocky, like, I'll, I'll throw some at you. Like, 1917, he won that, that year, thank the Lord, I think. Blade Runner 2049, Shawshank Redemption, No Country for All Men, The Big Lebowski, Fargo, Prisoners, Sicario, and the Assassination by of Jesse James by Robert Redford. I mean, uh, Robert, 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 um, Robert, Robert Redford did not kill Jesse James. <laughs> yeah, it's incredible filmography, all great look, and I, I think it's um, just a really a great testament to what an incredible cinematographer he is, and it's definitely going to go down as one of the best because of just how influential the guy is and. Anyway, I, I've talked about the cinematography very too much. It won't be the last time, though. 
Um, anyway, we go. It's a shame we can't the, uh, just show you some of the shots that really blew. Yes, us away. if this was a YouTube channel, guys, we would be having just that whole sequence. Patch and I were just talking about. I mean, just incredible. If you are listening to us and you haven't seen this movie, because we've spoiled a lot of this movie already, but um, it's incredible. I mean, you could just you. You you just YouTube some of the clips of this movie with Bond fighting that guy and it's just it's breathtaking. Anyway, um, after this we go to the casino type of area with the Komodo dragon, that, um, and we also have that scene with Eve who will be revealed to be Money Penny. We'll get to that, but uh, mm-hmm. we do see kind of like I was a little kind of like. It felt weird. A little bit of it felt weird. Kind of like the shaving part. Like some of the the dialogue that's going back and forth. Kind of similar to some. Like kind of. It reminded me a little bit of like the. Um, the finger sucking scene in the shower. <laughs> with mm-hmm. the Daniel Craig and Eva Green. Um, yeah. Just little. Some of the dialogue just made me feel a little uncomfortable. And then see like. Bond just kind of like going for the kiss. And I don't know what it's like. No. <laughs> All that. It's, it's an overall, I think, a good scene, but it is kind of it is kind of weird. Yeah, I think at least they're age also. <laughs> well, they're both like they're both flirting and they're both into it. And the weird part yeah. about Casino Royale was like she was traumatized, like she was literally in shock from seeing someone die, and he just sits down next to her <laughs> and starts sucking on her fingers like that's a completely <laughs> different like situation but i do get that it i think uh maybe they're pushing th- uh the limits of these two characters chemistry a little bit and that can that can come across a little weird but overall it's it's not terrible like you said yeah and we did skip over something and i can't believe that i forgot about this but we forgot uh-huh. about our cue introduction with ben wishaw oh, um in yeah. the and the art museum and um, I could watch a whole another hour of Ben with Sean Daniel Craig talking about what they see in paintings. Like that <laughs> bit of dialogue is just absolute perfection. And just the image of Daniel Craig sitting there, kind of slumped shouldered, um, looks great. And then Ben Wishaw, who I know as Paddington from <laughs> the two Paddington movies, <laughs> um, comes in very charming, brings some comedic humor that this movie hadn't had up until then, has some fun little remarks and it's really great dialogue and it says so much characters that Ben Russell is a highly intelligent thinker um, who looks for the metaphors and things and that Daniel Craig is like see a big boat <laughs> and, and I think that this speaks so much about each of the characters I think it's a great introduction to Q who's obviously an iconic character from the Bond series um, always the supplier of weapons I'm sure even non-Bond fans know that and uh yeah, I thought this was a great scene. We don't have to dwell on it too long, but I did want to bring it up because I think it's a pretty great scene. Yeah, looks great. Great dialogue. Um, definitely definitely up there for my favorite scenes in the movie just because Ben Wyshaw is so awesome. Yeah. Anyway, we have the casino with the And uh, I'm really liking um, Bond talking to Eve through the, um, through the earpieces. I think mm-hmm. that, that it makes her for some co- fun comedy. Like, when you see them just pass each other and they do it so casually, I think it really speaks to, to the life of being an agent and just how you have to blend in. I think that's a very, that's just a very cool, very cool little moments in there. 
Um, but we also have um, the sit down with kind of our one Bond girl in the movie. We don't, really, we don't have a Bond girl for this movie either, but we do have this one Bond girl here. And um, I think that definitely a step up from Quantum Solace. I was actually really surprised. This is something I never caught on uh, the first couple of viewings, but that this lady feels trapped by Silva and this is that's why she turned in. We have a scene later on the boat where she thinks that she's not coming, and you can feel her disappointment. And I completely forgot about that. And I don't even know if I ever recognized it. But the fact that she needs Bond to kill this guy, and that's why she's leading him to Silva, mm-hmm. I think that makes for some very good drama. And it makes her feel more like a character where that French chick was just kind of like, oh, I'm supposed to bring you in. Oh, but I love you. You know, this is kind of like... <laughs> There's just no character to that. And I think Bond girls, even though they are in the end throwaway items, whether you like it or not, when you were able to make me care for her in a short time, and I know she's going to die. Like, I think you know, even uh, Patrick, I'm, even, I'm sure even you did that on the first day, like, she's probably going to die. Like, that's just how Bond girls work. They, they end up just dying because that's Bond's character. You just come in contact with Bond. You you get laid by Bond and you're just gonna die. That's the that's that's simple. <laughs> and like uh, I think it's really a test. Yeah, <laughs> and um, I think her introduction is very effective. Craig kind of noticing the surroundings, um, noticing she it, it kind of reminded me of some of that um, those scenes even Green on, on the train Casino Royale kind of mm-hmm. learning about someone's persona. You haven't stopped looking at your bodyguards. Like that type of dialogue, I just really like in a Bond movie. And I don't think characters like Ethan Hunt, maybe Jason Bourne, uh, but they don't really have a lot of those moments. But Craig does throughout this series, and I really like it when he gets those moments. Um, and then we get the fight with the Komodo dragon and all that, or and, and the Komodo dragon pit against this guy. And I think yeah. that's some cool action as well. What did you think of this overall sequence? Yeah, I think Severine's a pretty good character for her short runtime. Uh, yeah. And the fight doesn't linger too long, which is good because they don't have a whole lot of ideas. They basically just have the Komodo dragon pit, which is perfect. And it's exactly what they should have gone with. It's really fitting. Um, yeah. I'm glad they didn't dwell on it too much. And then the the scene, yeah, the scene in the shower, like, you know, he's going to show up in the shower. As soon as mm-hmm. you see her there, you're like, okay, here he comes. But it definitely, like, the look on her face, she does a great job. I don't know who the actress is, but she did a really great job with her short runtime. Um, and so, yeah, mm-hmm. it is really sad when she dies, inevitably. Yeah, and it, 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 it's effective because she's wanting this freedom. And we don't really get that with a Bond girl. I think when we, like, we put a tear of, like, Bond girls, like, she's up there and not, like, I'm not talking about the like the one that's like Eva Green or people like that who stay throughout the movie and then die at the end. Mm-hmm. I mean like the ones that Bond has like a little bang and then he down. Um and I think that her death scene later on in the movie is it's it's effective. It, it, it's shocking. But um yeah, the and the Bond sneaks into her the shower and I feel like that's kind of one of those things, very similar to the sucking fingers or something like that, where you're like, <laughs> I don't know, like should Bond be doing is this right? And I kind of, and it, I don't think it's as kind of uncomfortable as like the finger sucking, which I feel really weird saying that, like referring to that moment as like finger sucking, but it, it, that's what happened. I do, yeah. <laughs> it is, 
there is kind of this thing where like this is Bond. Like this is just what he does. This has been a trait of Bond since the since Doctor No, and it's just kind of carried on. Where Bond just has no sense of personal space. It's kind of how I look at it. <laughs> and overall, I didn't really think much of it. I kind of it's a great looking scene also with the just in the first shot where like you just see the two in the shower, like from the outside. I think that looks yeah. good. Um, I don't really have much of a problem with it, even though I suppose you could pin it on being like, yeah, this is kind of outdated, but whatever. I don't have a problem with it. Yeah. Okay, I want to talk to you about the runtime because this is two hours and 23 minutes long, I believe. It might be even longer. This movie is two hours and 23 minutes long. That's correct. Excellent. You've had a problem throughout this series with runtimes. What did you think of the Skyfall runtime? Um, it. I think it definitely doesn't really feel like it's kicking in until the last 23 minutes. Like, it moves along really well. <clears throat> the first act, you know, has enough um, different story elements working that it's interesting. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then the second act moves at a really quick pace, and you've got the introduction of the villain and all kinds of things going on. So I didn't really feel it until the final act, which we haven't gotten to yet, but mm-hmm. it starts to... Um, it starts to slow down a little bit and feel more quiet. And like, um, you know, they start talking about Bond's backstory and it just, it's not as engaging and they're kind of trying to build tension for the last fight scene, but I I didn't really feel it as much, but overall, like, I don't have a problem with the runtime. I mean, I love the Lord of the Rings series and I will only watch the yeah. editions of those now. So I can't really talk about mm-hmm. runtime. I think if I was a bigger Bond fan, I'd feel it even less. Like I probably wouldn't feel the runtime yeah. at all. Yeah, this went by me pretty quickly. It felt even shorter than Quantum of Solace or Casino Royale. And it's, I believe, the longest one. I'm not sure, but Spectre, it's that's Royale, long. That's might, so much. might have been a little longer probably was specter is going to be in the two hour and 40 minute area so i'll definitely be interested in seeing your reaction to that because i'm sure there's going to be some things we could say could we could cut out of that because i had two hours and 40 minutes for an action movie that's just kind of when you start going like you cock your eyeball a little bit like i don't know if that is bright but we go to the island we get our introduction to harvard Bardem as our main villain we get that slow introduction he starts out as just a blurry image. He gets closer and closer. He's telling the story about these brats. And at first, when we started this monologue, I'm kind of like, I'm not really digging this monologue he's giving. And then I think there we reach a certain point where he talks about the rats starting to eat each other. And that's kind of when I'm like, it just clicks. I'm like, wow, this is great. This is great stuff. I mean, Javier Bardem, doesn't always get the parts that are worthy of his of his talents, but man, when he gets them, he just absolutely nails them. I think he's fantastic at Skyfall, probably better than Matt Mickelson. Um, I thought this is just fantastic entrance. If we're comparing this to like, say, Avengers as far as villains, this is heads and tails above Loki who's just 
basically just a villain. There, you feel <laughs> when there's his scenes with him that there is a sense of betrayal between the two. This is a bond gone wrong. I thought that Harvey Vardin was fantastic in this movie. He's the best Bond villain I have seen. Nicholson is the only one who comes close. Um, I think this introduction is an absolutely smash bit, and it doesn't stop from there. Yeah, I love the long shot when he's walking up towards the camera. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, <clears throat> put that on. <clears throat> put that on Mendez and Deacon, uh, or Deacons, or whatever his name is. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I, 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 I think the character is good. I personally prefer Mads Mikkelsen. Um, I like the role that his villain plays as opposed to this one. It does, this is the, this is where it felt the most like the Dark Knight to me. Yeah. Because Silva really seems like a knockoff Joker and, Mm. um, does that work for you though? Like, does it bother you that he's very similar to Heath Ledger? It it doesn't really bother me, but it doesn't like, it doesn't stand out to me. You know, like it doesn't, <clears throat> it doesn't, uh, it doesn't do anything for the story. It just is like, okay, yeah, this is a a good villain that um, kind of an anarchist, but with a, th- you know, he definitely has more of an agenda than the Joker does. But mm-hmm. it's it, much it, more personal. Well, I felt like Mickelson's um, villain was the most personal because not not like to Bond or to M or the other characters, but his dilemma is a very real one, and his struggle is more relatable than Silva's. Like, <clears throat> we're not really totally sure why Silva is so mad, or I wasn't at least like. I get the story. He was tortured because he was caught and he was a spy. And it's like, it's kind of like, okay, he didn't expect to be tortured if he was caught as a spy or like he expected no, no, no. his nation to like come in and rescue him somehow. Like he's an undercover, like these are deep undercover people. Like, I don't know. What, what were you going to say? M gave him up. That's the betrayal, is that M traded him for six other agents and gave him to these terrorists or whatever. And that's the ultimate betrayal, is this is so similar to Bond because they have, like I was saying earlier, Bond and M have this understanding of where they might not always see eye to eye, but if they came down to it, they would put each other's lie. They would like trust each other and trust each other with each other's lives. And I think that that is what Bardem or Silva and M had. But then this mother, this apparent mother figure to him, which is how it seems. And that it seems like that's what the role M plays for many of the other agents in this movie. It's like it's almost like the M stands for mom. Like they they kind of call M that in a British way, like mom kind of you know what I mean? And they do that throughout this I think it, it really stuck out to me here. Because I feel like she plays this mother to the agents here. And to have that trust be taken away, left for dead, to be tortured. And she gave him up. That's why he is so mad. 
Yeah, I understand that they're going for the um, the mother relationship and that that M is role for the agents. But at the end of the day, I still feel like Silva should have known better and he should have known that the ultimate point of this agency is to save lives. And the decision between six lives and one life is not even a decision, especially since this life has already committed itself to this agency and to their decisions. And like M is her, M has the responsibility to bring home those six people if she can. And like, mm-hmm. it's a tough choice, but like, that's why she's in charge. And I, I like all that aside, I'm trying to say is um, Silva is a little psychotic. I think that's, pretty obvious <laughs> he is he is the craziest bond villain we've gotten so far yeah and it's his it's his psychotic attachment to M that is the cause for this deep hurt so it's not like it's not relatable in that sense because most people wouldn't form that deep of an attachment i feel like to mm-hmm. their authority figure at their job when they're in this line of work and I think that's his problem. I, I I get that it's very personal for him, but like for Mickelson, it was, and I'm only comparing the two. And for Mickelson, to me, he has the upper hand because his uh, dilemma is like a universal dilemma. Like if you had made that mistake, you're going to be in this, you like that. This is just the logical step. You're stuck in this problem. And that's more of like a universal theme than like, you have formed a psychotic attachment to a person and um, you have, you know, deluded yourself about the nature of your job and uh, like the nature of basically your place. And then something that no, that like is not unexpected at all happens to you and you're, you're sad about it, you know, like mm-hmm. it, it is definitely a, a motivation for him as a, as a, uh, troubled person, but it's not as relatable. But he, I mean, Javier Bardem, he plays it so well. Like, I, mm-hmm. I, I it wasn't like a, a detriment to the movie. I just like Nicholson better. Yeah. And in my defense earlier, that's not really me defending Silva, his hatred against him, because you're right. When it comes to the decision between six and one lives, and this other person has dedicated their lives to this organization, then yeah, that's an instant, that's an instant move. And I think what it, what's so great though about this motivation it is, is that it, it is so psychotic and it is so naive that he believes that their relationship is this strong. And it's the same with Bond. Like this is Bond gone wrong. This could have been, Bond could have come back from that beach and been Silva. Like he could have been that portrayed betrayed that she would put put the make the shot to put that bullet in him and i think that that they're so bond and silver are so similar but it, when it, you, you get down to it their ultimate beliefs at this point are different and silva's motivation is overall for feeling the feeling of being betrayed by him because she made that call it is naive his motivation for hating her is naive but it, 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 it's also psychotic. But mixing that in, I think that creates such a strong and interesting motivation. This is a character that you and I are able to have this conversation about 
I think that just makes this character good. And I think we both agree this is a good character. Yeah. You're just this, you're saying that Nicholson is better. And I'll have to after this, I'll have to think which one I like more because I think when we get to our rankings with Spectre, we'll probably rank the movies, we'll rank the Bond song the Bond songs. But I think we'll also have to talk about each villain and see what we think of each of them and how we would rank them and which is better. And right now, I'm kind of, we can agree that Green sucked in the last movie. I think any of us are debating <laughs> whether or not Bardem's as good as Dominic Green or anything. But um, yeah, I'll definitely be interested in seeing in the end what I, who I think is the uh, better Bond villain. But yeah, we both agree. Great introduction, great looking scene. And then you can feel that Craig is instantly jumping to this energy that Bardem is bringing. You feel that he is like, great, I have this great actor to bounce off of. And you can feel like with Quantum of Solace, he was tired, you know? Like, this wasn't really something that he was excited about doing. And he, he's just so much energy with him and Bardem. Their acting is just kinetic. They have such great chemistry. And when... um. Uh, Silva is going through um, Bond's test and seeing it, it's failed. Even though we knew that Bond failed, it's a, it's tough to hear Silva read off psychological psychological evaluation failed, 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 failed. Like that's really tough, and that, he's challenging Bond's loyalty to M and whether M is good or not. And I think we could still have that debate on whether or not M is always making the right decisions. And I think in that first scene. She did make a bad call, and it's cost her. And I think that when um, they're having this debate, and Bond is defending him, we're still a little skeptical. Like, is she is she this great of a leader? And I think ultimately, by the end, I mean, we're going to see that she is. But I still think that there is this sense of uneasiness on still on whether or not M is this great leader. But seeing but Bond is still loyal to him is a very satisfying a very satisfying thing to see in the Bond character because he hasn't always been that way. Mm-hmm. And you would think that the way Bond is acted through Casino Royale and of Solace that he would instantly jump to Silva like, yeah, it was awful. But to see that he is really still defending him, I think that's really great to see. Yeah, and this it's cool that this whole conversation that's going down between them and the, the duel and Severine's death and everything, like the best part about that to me is it's just like, Bond is just stalling. <laughs> like he's just yeah. waiting for MI6 to show up. So I, I mean, it's, it's, a, I love, I liked that reveal and that he had the upper hand, even though it almost seems like the ending of a lot of Bond movies at that point, but it's like, only three quarters of the way through the movie, if that. Yeah. Really kind of halfway, honestly. Yeah. Like, we get to Silva at the halfway point, which I think is so interesting. We get to Green and Mickelson in, like, the first few minutes of the movie. We we have to wait to get to Silva. And I think that's such a great idea, that we're having to wait. We want to see who's behind all of this. And that's what adds to just the, the genius of Silva's introduction, is that we're t- it's taking so long for us to see Bardem's face, and that makes this scene all the more interesting and all the more gripping. Um, but then we kind of get like a Hannibal Lecter type of scene between um, 
uh, between Clarice, I, I, I mean, um, and um, uh, Silva. <laughs> I think that that's a first of a very great scene. And what I was talking about with Craig being excited to be working with Bardem is the same case of Judy Dench. Like they're all just kind of standing there watching him, and the, their faces are all just, they're very grim. But like you can, you still feel that Bardem is just this bringing this new life into the movie. And even though I probably agree with you that the whole sequence in Shanghai with the on top of the in the building with uh, taking out that assassin is probably the best scene in the movie. I think in the end, this is one of the stronger halves just because of how great Bardem is. He he brought such a new life into this movie, which is already such a strong half. But yeah, we'll talk about the third act. I have some nitpicks, but all the stuff of Bardem, I, I'm really eating up, eating it all up and taking out the uh, whatever it was, the whatever is making him look like the keeping the cyanide damage from being a parent. Yeah. I don't know how that works, but I think the CGI or makeup or whatever it was, it looks very good. And um, I don't think it goes too far. I've heard some people say that it's a step too far. Uh, for me, I think it just shows the true horror of being an MI6 agent and seeing what could happen. Bond's been pretty lucky. Like, the fact that something like this hasn't happened to him is, I think, pretty pretty lucky. And um, I think it's another sign of, really, Bardem feels like he's got full control throughout the movie, but he has this eternal hurt um deep down and i think when he takes out that protector or whatever that it's really that that realization moment yeah it's it's definitely a good scene definitely one of the scenes that uh calls the joker to mind but i mean avengers was doing the same thing with uh loki as well yeah i forgot about that so yeah i mean it was i think it was just kind of a reactionary thing to uh the dark knight but i mean it works like Three times mm-hmm. for something to be done, it's not really that much in the grand scheme of things. Like, it, it works yeah. each time. Uh, but you do kind of get the feeling that he did intend to be caught since it happened so often or so mm-hmm. uh, quickly and you've seen it happen. So uh, mm-hmm. it definitely expected when he hacks them and disappears. But I do like the, I like the design of all of the, hacking like virus software which i don't know mm-hmm. if that's really realistic i feel like a lot of this hacking stuff is kind of pseudo uh like <laughs> it's a little much it's yeah. a little dramatic mm-hmm. but you you can buy that there is kind of this really advanced in my six technology and you and i kind of complained in the last movie that there was just a little too high tech I, at least i made that complaint yeah and i feel like I agree. skyfall makes that has this perfect mix of old technology and this really kind of high-tech tony stark type of technology because i could buy that there is this type of technology out there because there's obviously stuff that like with computers on that that we don't really even know about yet yeah or that has been hidden from us and i think casino royale its technology feels very like 2005 2006 and this is the one that I think, as we're, if we're looking at technology, Skyfall is ultimately the more rewatchable one because it hits that perfect balance. And in that scene with Q, he just gets a Bond just gets a gun that recognizes that it's that, that is personalized for him, and then like this kind of bland looking tracking device that ultimately proves to be very useful. 
but it's still kind of very lackluster for most Q scenes in a movie. Like in Goldfinger, I mean, it's great stuff, the Q scenes in that movie. Um, but yeah, I think that you really get the sense that this is a more stripped down one. And I think when we're talking about the breakout scenes, like when you think about it, Dark Knight ripped off Sansa and Lambs and then Skyfall's ripping off, ripping off Dark Knight. It's just kind of this cycle that goes with great big bads escaping from prison, which I always love. And when it, it, when it works, it's always entertaining. If this breakout didn't work, I think we'd be much more disappointed with everything that's been going on because it would just feel much more like a ripoff, but it doesn't feel like a ripoff. It feels like something new, even though when you sit back and look at it, yeah, you could tell you that they took this from Dark Knight or Sounds of Lambs, whichever you want to say it is. Um, but yeah, I think the breakout scene is excellent. I think it's a it's really cool seeing Bond. He feels like he's capable. Now I feel like he's had this it felt like he's in, in, incapable many times, and it, he still is a little rusty at some points in this chase. But like when they're going down the 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 railing for the escalator, mm-hmm. like Silva kind of slips, but Bond just jumps right off, and he's back on his and he's instantly on his feet. And you can feel that he's slowly getting back in the mix with things, and that he's getting better. And having Q in the background in his earpiece, I think is such a great dynamic. I love it when that works, like with Jarvis or something like that. I just really like it when it works, and um, the realization that. Um, Silva was behind all this isn't really a surprise but like it's a satisfying moment um, and I found this chase to be overall very interesting and it ends excellently with the train going down into the into the, the, uh, the, the sewers or tunnels wherever they are yeah what did you think about that the the train the, going the train down. going yeah. down um I it, I think it looks great of course but um I was kind of surprised that Silva thought this is what's going to take out Bond. And I feel like if you look at it from the perspective that he's trying to distract Bond and stall for more time, then it works perfectly because Bond technically had him. I mean, he could have fired and you could tell he had that shot. Mm -hmm. But with the train coming in, it it kind of messes things up. But like, I, I feel like Silva kind of sells it as like, this is going to kill Bond. And I never bought that that trade might even get is even close to getting Bond. Like I, I feel like Bond just like hides behind something and he's fine. So I, if he's if Silva is selling us that this is what's going to kill Bond, then I don't really care for this train thing. But if this is like an ulti- the ultimate distraction, then it works. What did you think of it? I mean, I feel like Bond could have or maybe should have just shot Silva like right off as soon as he saw him like in the leg or something like I know he's not the best shot right now but I feel like in this state he still could have targeted him in a way that would bring him off the ladder or at least stop him from continuing to climb like he's just Silva kind of they just kind of like face off for a little bit yeah it, it is it is kind of like, yeah, he could take the shot. And Silva's competent throughout, like, just really just, he's kind of the first character to really point out, like, you look pathetic. And even in, in his introduction, when Craig is strapped to that chair and he's looking confident, but um, Bardem just instantly calls his bluff, like, dude, you look pathetic. And he comments on that throughout the movie. And then when they're when he's on top of the ladder and Bond is has gone them, he's like, "Good, James, good," and like, kind of like he, Bond has gained the upper hand. I don't know why Bond didn't fire the shot, 
Um, and that, and it's ultimately like, if you want to get down to it, it's Hollywood. Like, it's movies. Like, it's ultimately this is a fiction. This is a fi- this movie's a fiction. <laughs> like, this isn't real. And, and there are movie moments. And I think this was one of them. Um, but ultimately, yeah, I think this was a very strong chase. And we're also kind of cutting back to. Um, Judy Dench in the courtroom kind of having to really take a stand for kind of some of the mistakes she's made, at least at Skyfall of losing the list and all that. And I wasn't at first really sold on these courtroom scenes. We, of course, have like the awful minister or judge, or whatever, and it's just a total jerk. And it's just kind of, she's younger, you know? So, and one of the really strong themes that's going into this movie is like, sometimes the old ways are better. And that was one of the themes that they really nail into your head a little too much for my taste. Like they say, and and it's not that I, I have a problem with this theme. I think it's a good theme, but they say the same line over and over again. And it's like, sometimes the old ways are better. And if they had put a little spin on that, then I'd have liked it more. But we have like five different characters saying the exact same line with the exact same meaning. Mm-hmm. And that kind of bothered me a little bit. And you get kind of that feel in the courtroom. But when Judy Dench gets to talk, I'm really invigorated, especially when she's reading poetry, which at the start I wasn't really caring for. But when we're cutting back and forth between like uh, Bart Dam and the police outfit shooting down the guards and then Craig running really fast, like that was the ultimate effectiveness. But like at the start of it, I was kind of like, no, this isn't working. But when it really ramps up and then when Ralph Fiennes and Craig are kind of teaming up to take down Bart Dam and all that. Mm-hmm. It, it it eventually it ended up really great. Yeah, that that's another part. Like when when Silva comes into the courtroom, and uh, you know fires. He's got like two guys with him, and they all have like Glocks, and he's he's here to kill M. Right, like he wants to right. destroy her, and he's been planning this whole thing. Like they, they say in one of the lines, he's been like planning this whole thing for years and yeah. he knows where she is. So he's planned it out enough to where I feel like he could have gotten some better firepower and maybe like actually killed her, you know, like, like it's, she literally just like ducks the first bullet. Or, like, someone jumps in the way or something. Like, there's... Ralph Fiennes jumps in, takes a bullet for him. Great moment. Well, that's, like, the second time that she's shot at. Like, she she shot at once, Mm. and, like, one person gets shot because they, like, stood up in fear. Or, like, she ducks a little bit. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then later, Ralph Fiennes again, like, jumps in front. Which, because she was still standing there. Like, she ducks the first one, but then she just stands there. She doesn't hide or anything. And it's like, okay she would have ducked like does she want to die it's just confusing like it's confusing why she is not shot very easily or why silva didn't plan some other kind of like a bomb in the desk or something something that would have killed her for sure like he seems like such a careful planner up until like this one Mm -hmm. moment where they need him not to be and M also feels like she's not really trying to stay alive. Like she lets two people get shot in front of her instead of like ducking behind a desk or like, you know, like there were places she could have hid around there and like crawled out of the room. Like there, like Bond comes through a door to the side where like she could have been running towards that door or, you know, ducking behind stuff. I don't know. It, it seemed like they were 
trying to make this like a meeting of these two characters where like there's not you know bulletproof glass in between them they're like Silva's not in a cage and like now it's like now they're really facing down but it just it just it, it came across kind of weird I don't know it just didn't sit right with me this one scene um but I do like um I like how it plays out I guess because I like how um Ralph Fiennes you know picks up a gun and they start having this little old-fashioned shootout which I guess was the idea but it also seemed like Silva isn't supposed to be representing the old ways like Silva's supposed to be representing the the dangers of the the new technology you know he's the hacker that's one step ahead of all the technologies one step ahead of Q and everything so it was weird to have him represent like the the old ways still mattering but it's I mean it's a good shootout yeah, I, I'll be honest. I don't think I have as m- many problems with the Judy Dench and Javier Bardem face-off. I, I think you made some good points. But as far as, like, the firepower goes, I think it, it, it they were in disguises. So I think that they came in mar- waltzing together with, like, machine guns. Like, somebody have already kind of been skeptical. Like, a I just bomb. don't think that they're real. Yeah, the I, I, I get what you're saying. the whole headquarters. Yes, I feel like... Something I think is very interesting about Silva throughout the movie is he's very dramatic, and I and but also personal. And when we get to like his ultimate showdown with him and the like the church or whatever later, mm-hmm. um, in the final showdown, and he, he like the put the gun next to both of them, like that type of thing. But like that's very like very dramatic, but also very personal. So I feel like a, a bomb just isn't really Silva's style because Turner points out, or no, Bond points out when they're driving down to the new MI6 headquarters that, like, the whole point of the bomb was because Silva wanted him to see. So I don't think bombs are necessarily the way that um, that Silva would want to take out him. Yeah. And honestly, I don't even know if he's really committed to this moment. Because it doesn't really feel that way. Like that's what I'm saying. I, yeah, I, 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 I get it. And really, you're right. This is kind of like if we're really going to dissect this scene, then yeah, maybe Silva's what Silva's getting out of this moment might not be the best planned out or the best execution. And, and of course, ultimately, it fails. But you know, it's kind of like really pull the joke on us where he thinks like this is it and that he's ultimately got a plan and he is letting them get away i don't know because he's it really feels like he's trying to track them down yeah well like what if and he's he coming got at shot it- in the crossfire like he could have very easily like been injured and recaptured which would not have been part of his plan at all yeah i don't know i i, I see many of your points the scene of overall was this big of a problem, but I do get there are things to nitpick about what what Silva is really going at here, why Judy Dench does it duck. There are some stuff, and I and I think ultimately, and it's a really awful excuse, and it is a problem, but it is ultimately movie moments, and that isn't at all me trying to defend it. It's just kind of like this is a movie, and it, there are things you could do to tighten up this script. It isn't the tightest script. I don't think this script is as tight as Casino Royale's was. Yeah. Um, but 
Um, I am enjoying the action. Like I said, I enjoyed the scene. I think the the smoke that all or not really smoke, but whatever is in those fire extinguishers or whatever that that all that imagery worked really well. And then Bond's escape in the Aston Martin was really cool to see because <laughs> we had never seen that car in one of the under one of the Craig Bond movies, and to see him pull that baby out. That was really great to see. I have a Lego Aston Martin, so that was really cool to see. Uh, especially kind of some of the references to some of the older Bond films with the machine guns and like the headlights and then the the gear stick having like an injector seat. All that was very cool. Um, and uh, their ultimate getaway. And um, and you're right. This the, Let's talk about the third track as a whole. Let's talk about Skyfall because it's ultimately revealed that that Skyfall is the house that Bond grew up in. And it's ultimately going to end up being a standoff place for them at possibly Bond's most personal location ever. Mm-hmm. And there's clearly a lot of pain here for him. He clearly doesn't like this house much, as he points out, in a, in a pretty funny line. But um, <laughs> what, do you, what do you think of the overall meaning of Skyfall? Because some people, I, I could see people being disappointed by the ultimate meaning of Skyfall is that it's the house that Bond grew up in. And I think for... Oh, go ahead, go ahead. I'll, I'll explain what I think of it after you go. Uh, um, I was just going to say, I I wasn't really disappointed with the meaning of it. I thought it was interesting that it was like his childhood home. I did have some problems with it just because I didn't... It didn't seem like this movie up to this point was about Bond's origins or like where Bond came from. It's really been about mm-hmm. him the whole time and it just kind of seemed like that storyline or that focus of the story comes out of left field and doesn't really mesh super well with what they've already established with the rest of the movie it kind of seems like they're tacking it on a little bit um and they definitely spend a good amount of time like with it mentioning different things you know, talking about where Bond hid while his family died or, or after he learned that his parents had died and, like, going through all this stuff that comes out of nowhere and doesn't really have much to do with the rest of the movie except for deepening Bond's uh, backstory, I guess. But, I, I mean, I think the name Skyfall, like... Sounds yeah, awesome. And, and, <laughs> Makes for a great yeah, title and name. Like the word Skyfall itself can be symbolic for a lot more things than just the house. Like it, it definitely fits lots of themes throughout the movie. The word itself, the house itself seems a little tacked on, but I don't mind that they're connected with the house being called Skyfall because it's kind of like you've seen all this Skyfall-esque you know, all these Skyfall themes playing out and then you get to the house and it's like, Skyfall, this is it. So, it, I mean, it works mm-hmm. from a movie perspective and obviously in real life, well, I don't know, it's debatable, but um, yeah, it works. Sorry, I was going down a rabbit trail. Oh, no, it's fine. And yeah, for what I ultimately ultimately think of the decision to make Skyfall Bond's place. I do agree, like, making this about Bond at the end does kind of come out of left field. Um, and ultimately, I have to admit, I was, I had this at 
Oh, I was hoping I was gonna go in. This would be a ten out of ten. I don't think it's a ten out of ten movie. Where I would make the case that Casino Royale might just be one of my ten out of ten movies. Probably not for you, Patrick, but for me personally, it it was one of those. And going in, I was kind of hoping that Skyfall would even be better than Casino Royale. And I don't know if it is. I'll have to think on it. It probably isn't. And I just think that bringing in all of a sudden this ideology about um, what, like, on Bond, on his past mm-hmm. and all that. And there's been lines dropped before. There was a scene right before we got to Skyfall Mansion or whatever where, like, they had this scene by the road. Um, which I don't know why they stopped. Like, I don't know if they had to take a leak or something, but it, it made for a pretty pretty great-looking scene and a pretty touching scene as well between Bond and them. Um, and it gets some good lines in this scene as, and, and, and going to Skyfall as well. So she makes some quips at Bond for the car and all that. Very subtle. Like, I, I liked some of the lines that she got. Um, and uh, I like I said, Skyfall, I don't think, represents Bond, Bond's house. I really think it means some of the lyrics of Adele's song where this will be our final stand, that type mm-hmm. of thing. Because I think that's the ultimate purpose that Bond serves. And a lot of, like, let's go through some of the themes of the movie because there's a lot of themes and maybe one too many. Um, there's the whole theme about um, sometimes the old ways are better. There's this theme about our enemies being in the shadows. And then there's the theme, um, I, I guess, would those be the two themes? I feel like there's one more. Well, the the motherhood, oh. this surrogate mother theme yeah. is definitely present. Um, I guess I guess this house theme kind of has something to do with like how your past yeah. interacts with your present or something. I don't know. There, these some of these themes are things you could say about a lot of different stories. Just stories in general have similar themes, but it's yeah, it, it's got. I mean. We could probably extract twelve themes if we really wanted to look, and you know, large and small. Yeah, th- yeah, those are the main ones. Yeah, and I was nitpicking the sometimes the old ways are better. Did that pose a problem for you? How many times that that line was dropped? Because Bond's like gamekeeper or mm-hmm. whatever. He's gonna drop that line again with like a knife or something like that. Um, I think it's an interesting theme for sure it is probably harped on a little too much and i think it might be to the film's detriment a bit as far as like audience goes because i think one of the purposes that that theme is trying to serve is like saying hey like james bond is not like is not outdated like this series is not too old you know like we can still Mm -hmm. do something new and fresh by keeping the old Bond, you know, classic uh, motifs or whatever. Um, But I think that's a little to the film's detriment because, like, younger audiences that aren't familiar with the old James Bond are not really interested in the old ways, probably. Like, as much as this film is trying to say the old ways matter, the the next generation probably won't care. (laughs) But... uh, it definitely it seems more like for the the OG Bond fans who are like saying yes like our Bond is back and we still like the old movies and you know maybe we're getting kind of old ourselves and we like this theme of yeah. the old ways mattering um, 
but like i i can i can appreciate it like the old ways do matter and lots of things that are timeless are the greatest mm-hmm. things like i mean that, that goes without saying so yeah it's a good theme but i think it maybe doesn't the, the purpose it serves is kind of limited yeah sam mendez is a 55 year old man <laughs> it's obvious that this is kind of a a message that his generation wants to send. Um, was this on film and or I think digital? Especially, I'm going to look that up. Sorry, I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Yeah, you you look that up. I'll, I'll keep going. Um, I don't feel I don't feel like this is a theme that I ultimately needed. I don't really take something mm-hmm. out of this. I live much more in the 20th century than I do 21st century. Mm-hmm. I just let more of my favorite movies are found in the 20th century than they are the 21st century, even though there are some like Dark Knights, Xenoral, and this, movies that I do really, really like, Knives Out. There's a lot of good movies that came out 21st century. There's good music that came out 21st century. But ultimately, 20th century is just the century I like to explore the most if we're comparing the two. So I'm all for this type of message because I think that some of the problems is like the millennial generation or this whatever we're in like generation Z or whatever. I don't know. But um, I think that that is something that sometimes our generation forgets and that we have movies like this that do try to remind us, I think is a good thing. I don't know if this is a message that's good enough that it's going to stick with people though. And I don't feel like this is ultimately one of Mendes's main focus points, but he's dropping lines about mm-hmm. it all the time. And I don't know if it's one of the themes he's most passionate about. And what the theme that I connected to the most is our enemies being in the shadows and this very much being more of the Bond after 9-11 type of movie. Um, because Casino Real much more just about, um, you know, playing Texas Hold'em and getting money back. That really had nothing to do with terrorists. This does, though. Silva feels very much like a terrorist, even though he doesn't really have very terrorist-like goals. He's doing terrorist things, like blowing up my MI6 headquarters, things like that. But um, that's the theme I like the most, because I think this bond after 9-11 is, is very, very good. I like that this is a much more hardened bond than we've gotten before. But And I think that Mendez is actually addressing that is a very good thing. So this is the theme that I like the most over the sometimes the old ways are better mm-hmm. one. Um, and this is a lot, this is a really a theme that Raw finds a part of a lot of the movie, but anyway, to back to Skyfall, to, to, to the final battle, very, it's Home Alone, um, basically, <laughs> and, um, I think that this could be deemed disappointing to some viewers, as, as far as this is where we have our final action scene, but I, I liked it. I think that we get some really good action here. I like, I always like Home Alone type movies, like, like a first blood or something like that, or just things like that. I like movies that take that and make it an action movie. I, I, I just like that type of movie. And um, that we're doing good with James Bond, I certainly like. Um, I think we get some good action. I like that we're using the bare minimum. Or what we have is very, we don't just have some hunting rifles, a few things of dynamite, two gallons of gasoline. It, sound, it sounds like something the Joker would say, actually. <laughs> but um, um, anyway. Um, I think the action's good here. When we take it out into the grass and Bond goes underneath the ice, 
really good tension. I think Bond should be much more cold. I don't even know if he's if he's I think he might be in there too long, honestly. Like I feel like they have just a little bit of suspension of disbelief there, but it looks really good. Um and then um the ultimate end of Judy Dench's um I'm not crying, of course, but it is touching, definitely. And I think M and Bond are really letting their um, true feelings towards each other show that they do have an appreciation for each other. Craig's performance is just excellent, where he's not just sobbing, but there's there's tears. There's you can see a little tear going down his eye, and maybe that's just the water after the lake. <laughs> or whatever. I don't think it is, um, but I, I thought that it was just an excellent M and into M who's. This is truly M's high point, I think, throughout the whole Bond series. She is, he or she has never been better. And this is definitely Judy that's shining out of the three Bond movies we've talked about so far. Um, Silva's eventual death, I think, is really well done. I think he's just really in this, in the ending here, sounds like an absolute madman, which I love because we don't really get a lot of crazy Bond movies. <laughs> They're very cold and calculating. Silva's just off his rocker. He's really crazy. And um, his death is excellent. I think the, the gamekeeper or whatever, he's kind of, yeah, he brings some comedic relief. He's not a character I necessarily care about. I don't think Bond cares about him that much either, or at least doesn't show it. Um, and I will say the stuff about Bond being, he went down there into this little hidden place for like two days. He came out, not a boy anymore. That is one of the biggest parts about the whole third act with really discovering Bond's childhood that did work for me but not all the other stuff did I think if we're comparing first second and third act this is the weakest of the three of the three acts but that being said though I've absolutely loved the first two acts and this third act definitely has room to improve but it's ultimately I think an excellent ending to the movie and we'll talk a little bit more about the aftermath of Skyfall um, but what did you think of this final battle, M's death? Yeah, I thought the the segment with Silva and the the grenades could have been edited down a little bit. Like you were saying, like there's definitely there's definitely yes. room for improvement here. But I don't mind the idea of the final stand with uh, you know not much equipment. I think it's pretty cool. They kind of hinted at it earlier when Q gives him just a gun with a palm sensor and a radio. You know, they've been kind of joking you know around with that kind of stuff throughout so it didn't it felt earned and i like uh finney as the gamekeeper i think he's really funny um Mm -hmm. uh i did feel that m's death was a little weird because it's it's not a big deal but there was a period after she's she gets shot and then she pretends like she hasn't been shot, like she's fine. She walks on for a while. And then when, so there's a period where she's already going to die. Like she's been shot and she bleeds yeah. out. That's the shot that kills her. But Silva doesn't know that and he's still coming for her. So I don't think the impact of him coming to kill her is as, um, it doesn't hit home as much because she's already going to die. And he mm-hmm. you know he he acts like he's gonna shoot her in the head he's stopped he's you know gets he k- gets killed his death isn't like th- they don't really harp on it too much but he's gone and then they mainly focus on M, who is now 
finally dying from her injury of earlier, which, you know, it's, again, it's just kind of a weird, um, it's a weird series of events to have as the climax of the movie. Like, if we're going to go with the Hollywood suspension of disbelief, which I think this movie does lean into that, because, I mean, that's Bond, come on, like, Bond has had some crazy stuff going down in his movies, and I'm fine with that, like, and I definitely mm-hmm. think that's what Mendez is trying to bring back a little bit, you know, bringing back the car with all the crazy gadgets and that kind of thing. Um, I'm all yeah. for that too. I, I I like for Bond to be crazy. Yeah, sometimes. and then but with this part, it seems like it's almost like hyper realistic now. Like she gets shot like just with a chance bullet, and then that's what eventually kills her. Like it's not a super dramatic moment with Silva. Like if she had actually been shot. Like, just before Bond got to the chapel and Silva was the one that killed her and she hadn't been shot earlier, that would have been, like, to me, at least, like, the the climactic, like, Bond movie ending for M. But it seemed more of, like, a very slow and, like, almost realistic approach, which, again, I mean, like, I'm kind of faulting this movie for two sides of the same coin. I'm, I'm giving it a bad rap for both. But it's like, yeah, it just, I feel like they should have, well, I don't know what they should have done, but I think it, it could have been done better, like you said. And it's it's probably the weakest act, like you said. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know. I, I didn't really feel M's death that much, honestly. Like, I, I was kind of like, eh, okay. Like, I, I'd expected it from the start, almost. So it, yeah, they don't yeah, hide. So it. it was kind of, it, it it was like okay, this is what it's been leading up to, and then this is how it happens. You know, like I kind of had some question marks, like why did they do it this way? I I don't know. That's just my opinion. Yeah. Um. Well, I think I like it than you do i understand some of your complaints that her already being shot does take a little less out of the punch i don't know if i went far them to shoot her because i don't feel like that's a james bond even though that's what how eva green ultimately she gets taken out at the end but i don't think but it just feels different because eva green was also kind of a traitor um and i feel like if bardem shoots her then he is ultimately one and it's the, eventually just the if 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 Bond gets there and he Bardem has already killed him and then Bond takes Silva out, then really it's ultimately what Silva wanted. And so uh, I don't think this Bond. I don't want them to go so dark night that the Joker or slash Silva is ultimately the winner at the end, even though he gets shot, which is kind of how the Joker ends. He gets caught, but ultimately his plan is won. Um, well, and it was so, his men that shot even though I do earlier, so I mean, his plan did kind of work. Yeah, I agree, but also, Bardem wants to mm-hmm. kill her. Yeah, like he because he, he tells her later, "Don't, don't touch her. She's mine." So I feel like it's still not really part of Bardem's plan that she gets taken out by his goons. Um, but I understand your complaint. There are ways for this third act to be done better. It's ultimately, I think, like you said, 
probably the biggest weakness of this movie is the third act. And I think the first two acts were just near flawless. Um, but anyway, I think this is still pretty, pretty good, pretty good ending. Not great, but pretty good. And then we have the aftermath. We learn that um, um, that Naomi Harris is Money Penny, who is a famous character throughout the Bond series. Did you catch on to that, Patrick? Because you have not seen any other Bond movies, except for yeah. Doctor No. Yeah, it was a cool reveal. And I think, by the way, Naomi Harris is great in this movie. I, I, she's very, she brings a lot of charm, very funny. Um, I definitely like her better in this than I do the Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> she's not bad in those. Her character Just, is way it's different. Better. It's like... better. Yeah, definitely different. I didn't recognize her. Like, I had to go look at the cast later to learn this was her from Pirates of the Caribbean. Like, I didn't catch yeah, up she, to it. Yeah, I mean, she's great. But, she, um, she can do a lot of different characters very well. Mm-hmm. And I'll be excited to see um, Q and Money Penny come back in the next um, Bond movie as well. They're not in it a lot, Inspector. Um, and I, Q, I Q's like in it. They thing. are. They feel but like I don't. Money Penny is. Uh, not yeah, like it. I said, I haven't seen that one in a while. Yeah, I, I do remember Q being in it quite a bit. Money Penny's not, but it was just a bummer because I feel like there's a lot more to explore with Money Penny's character. Mm-hmm. Um, so her not being Inspector Hall is kind of a disappointment. How do you feel about Ralph Fiennes being the new M? I, I mean, it's great. <laughs> I love Ralph Fiennes. Yeah, I, Ralph Fiennes. Yeah, I think Ralph Fiennes definitely fits the more Sean Connery type of um, M. He just feels much more of that yeah. era. Um, and you know, I think Judy Dutch's M felt something friend, something fresh. And Ralph Fiennes feels like we're bringing back something old, and I think that's kind of fits him with the tone of the movie, and it, it it's nice. It was a kind of a weird note to end on, though. Like Ralph Fiennes is like, "Are you ready, 007? And 007's like, and then Bond is just kind of waits for a second, and he's like, "Yes, I am." And then that's it. I feel like we could have had some. This is a better shot, but I think it's kind of redeemed. Where we get the, we finally get that gun barrel sequence because we never got a gun barrel sequence in any of the Daniel Craig Bond movies, so to see us finally get that. It wasn't the one end in Casino Royale. Was very satisfying. We got him turning around and then he shut the screen and then we get we cut to the, um, to the Bond song, but we never got the the dots moving across the str- the screen. Then we see Bond walking and the fire the gun the blood comes out. We never ever yeah. got that. So. And also celebrating fifty years is very cool as well. So, um, yeah, that ultimately I think brings us to the end of Skyfall. Um, Patrick, do you recommend Skyfall, and why? Um, I would recommend it. I think Bond fans are gonna love it, and uh, regular movie fans are gonna be really entertained. It's it's got some great action, a good villain, good story. Uh, it looks amazing that's probably the the strongest um aspect of this movie is the cinematography and uh it's worth seeing just for that honestly do you recommend it Mm -hmm. (laughs) i do i do recommend it yeah i'm echoing your points it is not perfect it is ultimately it is just as good as i remember it but i was hoping that it would be even better 
on this thing. I don't know what it is it was about that, but me going in, I was thinking that this was going to be even better than I remember it being. But it is just as good. Ultimately, meaning that it is a fantastic movie. One of my favorite looking movies ever. Just that sequence um, in Shanghai of those two guys fighting is just one of the most iconic moments of the last decade and one of the best looking scenes of the last decade. It is just beautiful. And um, it is not perfect. We've nitpicked the third act a little bit. Um, a little more than I had honestly <laughs> hoped to, but I, I needed to get that out. You know, it, it wasn't, it is this person. I was trying to hide that, but it, 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 there are things to change. There are ways to make it better. This could be a 10 out of 10 movie. I don't know if it is. I've kind of revealed but my basic ranking for this movie. I think you have too, just from what we have said. I think we have more nitpicks on this one than we did Casino Royale, which is fine. I think we both agreed to write Quantum of Solace, but we'll ultimately kind of reveal why we put a movie on a certain position when we talk yeah. about Spectre. Um, and um, like a lot, Craig is at his best here. This is my favorite Craig performance as Bond. Um, he truly feels like James Bond in this movie more than ever. And it isn't like he's been uncomfortable in this series. It's just that the the movies have constantly been him becoming James Bond, but it feels like he is James Bond now. Excuse me. Um, Sam Mendes' direction is great. Um, Harvey Bardem as Silva is a fantastic, excellent villain. One of the best of the decade, I think. Um, so yeah, it is a definitely a strong recommend to go see this. Catch up on Casino Royale, watch that movie first, just to get a feel of Craig's Bond. You could entirely skip over Quantum of Solace. <laughs> it, it, it movie's just pointless. Um, that is the end of our Skyfall discussion. That this was just as fun as I'd hoped it would be. Um, before I don't know if you will even do a five movies you want to see soon because I don't know if our lists have changed. I think I have given a shout out to It's Wonderful Life many <laughs> times before. So I will throw one out for that. Before we get into that, though, I wanted to talk about Tenet, which is now coming to Amazon Prime. You could buy it on streaming. I think that was announced today. You can now go and oh, buy sweet. it on Amazon on Amazon Prime. And um, I wanted kind of to go back to our Tenet um because you can also go still go see this movie in theaters. It is still in theaters. By the time it comes out on Blu-ray, it will probably still be in theaters. Um, what's I wanted to talk to you a little bit about some of the reception Tenet has had. Christopher Nolan has had a rough year, I think. Uh, it really does feel that way. It feels like just about every time I'll go look at the internet or something like that, it's just Chris Finolan's mad at Warner Brothers. They have had a very strong relationship since Batman Begins, and it really feels like they have, they're really butting heads this year. And um, I feel bad for the man. I do understand Warner Brothers' side, though, trying to keep movies alive. And I think Nolan should also keep in mind that if he wants to make more movies, that his movies need to make money. It has not made money like I think it would if there was no COVID-19. Um, and I think Warner Brothers putting this movie on streaming and still be in theaters is understandable. Um, I also understand Nolan's side, though, being a truly the old ways are better type of guy, going back to our Skyfall discussion. For sure. Um, so 
I, what do you, are you going to rush to this movie to buy it on Blu-ray or buy it digitally? Or is this one that you might just rewatch just by renting it? And what do you think of the um, whole drama between Nolan and Warner Brothers and the overall reception of this movie? Because it wasn't very well received as well. Yeah, I think, I think overall Nolan has gotten a bit pigeonholed into this like, crowd-pleasing blockbuster area of Hollywood that he's not really at home in. Like, his his movies aren't... Like, I haven't seen it, but going back to Memento, it didn't seem like that one was, like, meant for the big crowds. And, like... Not at all. Yeah. I don't remember which came first. I don't really know the the, um, timeline, but... Following came first which was like less yeah. than an hour, and then Memento, which shocked the world, I think. Just really surprised people. And then he had Insomnia after that. and then so Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know the so forth, but I know Inception was really big in theaters. <laughs> and The Dark Knight yeah. obviously was a huge... Uh, the, uh, yeah, I mean, when he went Batman, like, that's mainstream. Like, people are going to go out to see mm-hmm. that. But um, with his solo stuff, like Interstellar, uh, probably was a big draw too, but he's kind of trying to move away from that. Like Dunkirk, I don't feel it, it's a big event movie. That's the thing. Like he makes big event movies, but they're not for like the big event crowd. Like they're not for the yeah. Infinity War crowd. They're not for the Star Wars crowd. I mean, there's definitely probably overlap, but his movies are definitely more for like the indie movie crowd, or not the, the deep indie movie crowd, but like the the methodical. It's yeah, very methodical. And that's kind of just a disconnect that he's struggling with, I think. Like, I mean, if he's, I don't really know the story, but if he's struggling with Warner Bros., like, there are other studios that would be happy to make a Christopher Nolan movie. Like, he could go to A24 and make something with a smaller budget focus really focus on the story love like, that yeah i mean that those are his roots that that's where he is really confident i feel so i mean if that's the way he's going then that's great like it might be difficult to get there but he'll he'll find a way he'll get through it but I, again i don't really know the situation very well i i don't know what his qualms are with warner bros is it just because they're releasing tenant for to buy i i don't think they like I don't think he likes how they're handling Tenet just with its release mm, to streaming. Yeah. I think he's not really happy about that. What do you think about the overall reception of Tenet? Yeah. Because that movie was not very well received. I'm uh, I'm still on Letterboxd, and two days ago, it dropped down to a 3.5, and my heart almost <laughs> broke. I was just so sad. Because Tenet is better than a 3.5, and a huge part of Australia is now able to go to theaters freely when they weren't able to. And I was really hoping that people were going to see um, how what a great movie Tenet was. But basically, Australia is pretty much giving the same feedback as the U.S. is, with not really being a big fan of the movie. And Patrick, you and I were both, I think, big fans of Tenet. I don't know if I would say... I'd like to speak <laughs> to yourself on whether you were a big fan or not. I know I was personally a big fan Um of the overall reception why do you think this movie was so poorly received it, it does have its lovers but it it is ultimately deemed one of nolan's 
lesser films that I consider to be one of Nolan's best. Why do you think that is? Um, it's hard to say. It's hard to say why a lot of people don't like it. I have, I mean, I've definitely heard the complaints about the sound design or the sound mixing rather. And I definitely, like, I hear some of them. Like, I, I definitely had a, some problems with Tenet, even though I did really enjoy the story. Yeah. I loved the action. Um, it's a great movie to see in theaters. So if you're still, like, if you want to experience this movie, you should go see it in theaters before mm-hmm. you rent it. I mean, honestly, I think I would be, I, I would enjoy it less probably watching it on digital like I probably won't go to Amazon and buy it but I did really enjoy seeing it in the theaters so I I don't know it's hard to say I think as far as like widespread um, acclaim goes for um, audiences Mm -hmm. it's kind of like lightning in a bottle yeah and it has to be the right time you have to have the right story you have to have some character or some piece that really resonates with people. And I think Tenet was too too grand of a movie. And there were too many large concepts being dealt with for people to really enjoy in this stage of the world. Like, people wanted something that they could unwind to maybe like something where they could sit back and relax. Like they wanted more Marvel or star Wars, I guess like that crowd is the crowd that wanted to go back to theaters. And this movie was just like, Oh, like we have all these serious problems and things that we're trying to work out in real life. And now we're going to the theaters and there's another difficult problem to work out. That's like, just seems (laughs) just as serious. So I just I think it was just the wrong time for it to come out. Yeah. And he definitely pushed for it to come out because he wanted to have it in theaters. He wanted people to go back and see it or to go out and see it. I don't know if that was the right move, but I don't think it was he needed to do. So I mean it probably wasn't. Yeah. (laughs) It probably wasn't. You're probably right. But I mean you and I we both gave the thumbs up to it. I think we both really liked it. Um I think we both agreed that it wasn't going to be for everybody. And I feel like it was a mistake on both Nolan and Warner Brothers' side to release this that movie this year. As much as I enjoyed it, as much as I wanted to come out this year, if we're really thinking about the numbers, it wasn't the right move. And if we're really going to want to get people back in theaters, as much as I'm kind of sad to say it, it's like it's Marvel or DC or something like that. And I, I'm kind of sad that's the way we're at where this is the, these are the movies that are going to get people back in theaters. And I love Marvel. I love DC. I mean, DC's not a perfect studio at all um, or has, has made perfect movies, but I like those characters. I like those Marvel movies. Hey, I cried and Iron Man died, people. I will admit it. Um, spoiler <laughs> for that movie, by the way. I, th- I think everybody knows it, though. I think everybody knows it, though. I think it's somebody I actually hasn't forgot, seen it. so I'm about to shed it to you right now. Yeah, I think everybody who hasn't seen a, a, hadn't even seen the sequel Marvel movie knows that I am in bit the dust, and so um, the fact that it's a movie like The Eternals or something like that that's going to come out and get people back in theaters that that's the movies that this, that we're ultimately enjoying in theaters right now is sad, 
because Nolan is such a 20th, 20th century director. And if he came out, like, I think, I think ultimately, Nolan has a shot at being the Kubrick of the 21st century, who wasn't very well received. No, just, just like, I'm not saying that he, Nolan is as good of a director as Kubrick. I'm saying that if we look back, Kubrick's movies were poorly received and didn't make a lot of money. But we look back at him now as an absolute legend who made masterpieces. And I think we look pretty fondly on Nolan's movies, Interstellar, Inception, Dark Knight, widely considered to be, especially Dark Knight, some of the best movies of all time. And um, I think that Nolan won't, I don't think Nolan is as good of a director as Stanley Kubrick is, even though I like Nolan more. But um, I do think that they are very much similar and have many of the same complaints for being cold directors, which I disagree with. But that is one of the complaints that those directors get. And I think Nolan can get up his own butt sometimes. And um, that is kind of, I feel like that's what he's been doing a little bit this year. And that is a little disappointing. Um, I wish Tenet got better reception. I wish it made more money. Um, I think we need to do like a little mini episode and review like the streaming service version of Tenet because I'm really <laughs> interested in seeing how that sound design is going to work out. It, people now have the option for subtitles. Maybe that'll bring the ratings up. I don't know. <laughs> I will probably have the subtitles on on my uh, third viewing of Tenet, but I'm excited to see it. I will get it on Blu-ray opening day. I am ready for this movie to come out physically because I I really loved it. I probably liked it a little more than you did, Patrick. I, I get that, but I, I'm very excited for this movie to come out and that I can own a copy of it. And um, if there's a Nolan box set that comes with that, I'm going to get that too. Um, so <laughs> anyway, as a whole, I am kind of disappointed in the reception that Tenet got. I understand it. It's a hard movie to follow. I think we could both agree on that. It, it's a tricky it's a tricky movie to unravel, and that wasn't what people wanted to see coming back to theaters. So ultimately, I do understand the complaints, but I thought I was hoping that it would be better. But anyway, enough about Tenet. Um, I guess we don't really have anything else to add to our five movies we want to see soon. Um, I, I don't have anything new on my watch list. Yeah, I'm still rocking with Arrested Development. Um, I don't know what I'm going to watch while well, on Christmas break. I'm going to be seeing a lot more. I mean, I'm. I've already seen a lot more than I normally would during a school week or whatever, but yeah, um, yeah, we're also cranking out more episodes, and um, I really think that after um, we finish Bond, we might need to talk about Wonder Woman because that's going to be coming out Christmas Day. I'm going to be seeing it in theaters Christmas Day. I'm very excited. I'm going to get the IMAX experience. It, this looks like an IMAX movie with the colors and all that. I'm excited. Um, this is kind of fitting back to what I was talking to with talking about with Tenet. This is going to ultimately be a movie that's going to bring people back, you know, and, and we'll have to see. But if we're looking at what audiences enjoy more right now, Wonder Woman 1984 is the perfect movie. More than No Time to Die or Dune, this is it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm very excited uh, to see Wonder Woman 1984. I'm also very excited to see Soul as well, the new Pixar movie. We might have to do a little double feature. I'm not sure. I don't know, because you don't have Disney Plus, though, so we'll have to see. But definitely, we'll be talking about Wonder Woman 1984, hopefully, um, before we all have to go back to school. Uh, But anyway. Yeah, Yeah, I'm excited for Dune, too. I guess that's kind of on my watch list, even though it hasn't come out yet. (laughs) And I have to say, even though I was very disappointed in David Lynch's Dune, 
Um, I am excited though to see um, that twenty. I guess it's gonna be twenty twenty one now, but I'm all the more excited because I think Villanueva has is gonna look back, see the mistakes Lynch made, kind of showing the studio. You see what you guys did here. Let's try to do better. And I think that we're <laughs> going to learn from Lynch's mistakes. And I don't think Lynch made many, many mistakes in that movie. It's, it's ultimately just studio interference. But I, I mean, I, what I ultimately hold up is do not being a great movie is I saw that YouTube video of Lynch saying, I'm proud of everything I've done except for Dune. And that <laughs> is ultimately what he thinks of that movie. So anyway, that wraps up, I think, our whole conversation. Um, think on your sins, ladies and gentlemen. Um, <laughs> we will be back tomorrow with Spectre. I'm excited. Patrick, what are your expectations going in? You've already seen Spectre, of course. Yes. But what were your expectations going in? That's kind of how we're going to have to phrase this. Um, I was most excited. I think I was most excited for Spectre out of the whole series. Just mm. because. Uh, well, I remembered it being good. And I remember I like I've watched it a couple times. Um, and then I heard later on that people really didn't like it and I was kind of like taken aback, like, huh? Like I, I really had no idea that people didn't like Spectre when I watched it and I enjoyed it. So I was curious how that, how knowing what the reception was would change my viewing experience. Mm -hmm. So it was all very interesting. I was really excited to get into it and I'll be super excited to talk about it tomorrow. Yeah. Um, I think I have come out more negative on Spectre than I have intended to. I remember it being a fine movie. Ultimately disappointing coming off from Skyfall, which I think, like the rest of the world, we had our expectations high, especially with Mendes coming back. Um, yeah. I think got people's expectations even higher because he did so good with Skyfall. Um, and I think what the world says is that he didn't. I'm going to come back to to it, though, positive, hoping that I was wrong and that it is a little better. Because I don't – I feel like I've really painted myself as really hating Spectre, and I don't hate <laughs> that movie. Um, I think it's better than Quantum of Solace. I think it's better than Dr. No um, from, from memory. I do remember it looking good. I do remember liking Dave Bautista. I do remember hating the love interest of that movie, though, and I'm very interested in seeing how – Mem how my memory holds up on that because I don't remember liking that um, but I'm going to be seeing it soon probably I'll watch it tomorrow before we hop on to record and uh, I'm excited to talk about it so that'll wrap up our conversations we'll probably pre we'll probably repeat this all again about what we thought of where, where our expectations <laughs> were going into Spectre yeah. but we'll preview for the listeners tomorrow that episode's going to drop so you can check that out um, Patrick He's off the grid. He's incognito. Um, you can't find him anywhere. He's, he's disappeared. <laughs> um, for me, you can find me over at my blog, thenonewcomhub.blogspot.com. You can also find me over at Letterboxd. My handle is my name. And um, I also have some other reviews there and over at my blog. I don't post as much on my blog as I used to. I do a lot of in-depth reviews on Letterboxd. Letterboxd and I'm going to give that a little shout-out because I think Letterboxd is a really good movie reviewing app does have some toxic people as I have come encounter with them. Some weird creepers out there, but you just have to <laughs> stick with the right people. I speak from experienced people. Um, so yeah, you can find me there. 
go listen to some of our episodes. If you want to hear more of Patrick's magnificent voice, you can go listen to some of our Pirates of Caribbean episodes. Get your head checked. You're worse than Silva. (laughs) (laughs) And our Mad Max episodes as well, and many other things. Um, So we'll have Spectre. That episode will be out um, tomorrow. And um, I'm very excited to talk about it with you. So go listen to some of our episodes. This has been episode... 45 of the Movie Maniacs podcast. Patrick, thank you for joining me. Um, so far, this Bonnet series has been an absolute blast, even though we've had to have some highs and lows. Um, but I guess we'll be back to talk about Spectre. And uh, let me just say, I'm very excited. Even if it would be that great, I am still very excited. Me so too. we'll be back with Spectre. Thank you.